0: May the God of Jonah, the God who sent his own son Jesus, as a fulfilling of the sending nature of his own heart, bless and keep you today as we finish up pursuit, we finish up thinking and talking about Jonah. So I'm just going to walk this way for a minute, no fear, I'll go back. But uh, I'm just curious if you've thought about Jonah in the past, what do you normally think of? What is Jonah about? Why is Jonah in the Bible? Still looks the other way. Don't ask me. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Lord got, it, got his attention in a big way. Good, good. Thank you. Yes, Justin. Us running away from God. Us running away from God. Thank you. If I'm missing you, just wave real big. I'm sorry. If you're hoping I'll look the other way, just keep looking the other way as well. Good morning. I'm no, not stop here. Have you ever thought about, I mean, why does God put Jonah in the Bible? What is it? Yes, Don. Fish. He's encouraging future Texas fishermen to go fish and find that real big one. There you go. Thanks, Don. (laughs) always appreciate you from the peanut section. Yeah, fish. Hey, I think we oftentimes get kind of stuck on the fish, and Jesus talks about uh, the fish. I think Pastor Ted uh, talked about that last week as an example that Jesus talks about the history of Jonah and how that ties into his own stay in the grave. And yes, that's there, but I would like the next time someone gets up and asks you, which I know may not be in a long, long time because whoever asked this question about Jonah, that your answer would be that the point of Jonah, the reason that God would bother to put a story about a guy who can't get it right, who runs away, he has to get his attention, he uses a fish, is that God is a pursuing God and God is also a sending God. So if you can't remember anything else down the road or if you want to write it at the top of your Bible or find a little place that you can do it in your, you know, maybe, I don't know if I can make notes. Yes, I can make notes in my Bible on the, on the iPad. You can put in there pursuing and sending pursuing and sending, that the reason God places Jonah here is that the people of God of that time and the people of God today would understand that God is a pursuing God, God is a sending God. And if we can't get that straight, not only for ourselves as Christians, but as the church today, if we cannot get in ourselves straight that God is a sending God and God is a pursuing God, we're going to continue to have challenges as a Christian church Today, as the people of Israel did in their day. So if you want to open up, uh, you can open your own Bibles to this or you can look in your iPads or your phones to Jonah, the last verse of 3, the whole chapter of 4. We're going to think about this, this whole aspect of the whole book because there is a flow and a theme of pursuing and sending that begins at the very first chapter and we end with also in the fourth chapter. So you remember just to make sure we're all on the same page with old Jonah, as the first chapter opens up, it's rather stark and quick, but it just simply said to us that the word of God came to Jonah and God says to him, go to Nineveh. Get going to Nineveh. And of course, being a good Lutheran, he immediately packed his bags, got his ticket, and went to Nineveh, right? No. He was a good Lutheran who ran the other way. And he went off to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish, we don't talk about a lot. No, it's not Tarsus that Paul's from. Tarshish was uh, an area where probably Solomon gained uh, most of his wealth because of metals. So it was an area known for metals, and uh, a lot of the riches of Solomon that related to metals came from Tarshish in the time. So he runs. So God first comes in and pursues Jonah, right? He comes, the word of God comes to him, and God is pursuing him, and in the same moment he's pursuing him, he sends him, or tries to send him to Nineveh. Okay, pursue, send. Now, we keep that theme going because, of course, our friend, our friend, there we go, got it, thanks, He's my my spell checker and my uh, making sure I'm in the right place checker. So if I fail, he can say, no, that's wrong. Um, So, no. So what happens then is, oh, fact checker. They're making the fact checker. So what happens there is, of course, he turns and goes the other way. So what happens? God pursues him again. He pursues him. And now this is the part we get to Don's Fish. And God finds him, he gets thrown over the side, and God, interestingly enough, pursues him to such the point where, and we talked about this a while back, you know, his lack of uh, faithfulness, his lack of being sent created problems for the crew, he put other people in danger, it was not joining God where he was moving, therefore God was going to turn him the right direction. And so in pursuing him, he pursues him to the point where when we get to chapter 2, as we go through that chapter, now we have him and the fish praying. He's kind of between being pursued and sent. He's kind of in that spot as he's been pursued and sent and run and pursued and sent. He now lives between the two and he's coming to himself, and I would call this the understanding of what is God's mission, how do we go about understanding what God wants to do, not what we want to do? Chapter 3, it says there, God pursues Jonah again, and how do we know this? It says the word of God comes again. It came to him again. As it came to him again, it says even this a second time. He pursues him and sends, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so he went out to Nineveh. I always, and you think, you know, of course it was a short sermon, so you probably would like that, but it was also probably one of the worst sermons ever preached because all he preached was, walked around, 40 days, if you don't turn, you're going to be overthrown and destroyed. Now, in that very simple word, the change happens from the top down. The king himself hears that and calls on them to now wear sackcloth fast and repent. Well, it actually came out of the people. But then the king himself even responded and did that. He issued the proclamation, again, agreeing with what the people were doing and asking that God would relent. Hence to our time today. As we've seen this uh, pattern of pursuing, sending, pursuing, sending, pursuing, sending. In his sending, Jonah now goes, but we know that there's not a lot of happiness about this. He goes where God sends him, and yet in that, now we have a whole different feature going on because God is still pursuing Jonah. He's pursuing Nineveh, and he wants to have a sending that goes out of there. But the conversation ends up, and the, and the part of our story ends up being very fascinating. It's the conversation of the pursuer sender to the one who was pursued and sent. Now, here's what he says, and here's where I'm looking at. Chapter 3, verse 10, we already have, and that was where it says, And God relented, they he turned from their evil way, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he talked to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord and said, God, O oh Lord, is not this what I said yet when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh God, just take my life from now. It's better for me to die than to live. Wow! Now I've always asked myself when you begin to read Jonah and he's sent to Nineveh and he goes the other way. I'm thinking, well, he's going the other way because Nineveh is known as an evil city. Pastor Ted used the idea of, hey, go to ISIS, go to you know those areas, go go relent, and you're going to go. I ain't go going there. They kill people for this. That was not his issue. His issue was that in bringing this word, he says, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You were sending me, and because you were sending me, I knew there was going to be a change in them. Therefore, you would not destroy them. And he was disappointed not to see fire and brimstone fly from the sky. Now, I don't think he's given up on this yet. Because what happens is, after having this, and the Lord says to him, do you well to be angry? Jonah decides to go plant himself out on the grassy area of the knoll. He decides to go out where all the Aggies and UT fans and whomever has that nice spot to go. I'm going to go watch, you know, the football game. I'm going to go watch, not the game, but I'm going to watch the destruction. God has got to make more sense than this. So he goes out of the city, He sits on the east side. He makes a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. See, he still anticipated Well, I'm still going to get what I want. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be put shade over his head. And to save him from discomfort, Jonah was exceedingly happy because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said... It is better for me to die than to live. You notice how Jonah is running to death every other time. Please let me die. I don't. I can't stand the idea that you would care for these people. I can't stand the idea that you're not doing what I want. So just let me die. Let's pause for a second. This is not that unusual. It is exposing the heart of people. We like the pursued part. God pursued me. I'm in. Who gives a rip about anybody else? And we say, oh, that's not us. <laughs> I mean, we, we wouldn't be there at all. I mean, if you took up an offering for Nineveh, we would send at least 10% of everything that came in. We would send it to Nineveh. We would find someone foolish enough. We'd call him Jonah too, and we'd send him over there. We love God's mission. Of course, we'd be the same people if those Ninevites moved next door. We'd go look at them sideways and go, what are they doing here? We probably wouldn't talk to them because we wouldn't know what to say. And if we talked, we'd have such brilliant conversation like this. Did you get your mail today? Yeah, our mail comes kind of sporadically around here. We might get insights just because our children play with their children and we'd find out that there might be some real hurtful things that they have from their lives. We might by accident find out that there's a lot of pain that goes with moving. There's a lot of loneliness and yet we'd sit back and say, well, it's okay. That's not my job. God shows that we find our own Tarshish every time. And the point of Jonah is that God is continuing to pursue, but in that pursuit, he is constantly sending those who were pursued and found. There is no stopping there, which he says, whew, got stones taken care of, now I'm done. Nor does he say to me or to you, I'm done with you, that's enough. But there's something about the human sinful nature that even as those who are found that we get caught up so much in ourselves, we look for other places and other ones to take care of the rest. And it's to the point where if God is doing something elsewhere, we almost say I can't live with it. You're going, I, do we say I want to die? Well, probably not, but here's what happens. I'm talking to church at large and we can figure out if this fits us. The church at large, including many Lutherans, do this. They sink all of their energy, time, and budget into taking care of the members, whatever that means, the people who are there. They may, and I say may because I'm shocked in finding out how many churches don't even do this much in terms of sending money to Nineveh or anywhere else. And then they question if we put any time anywhere else, it's as though, oh my goodness, all we care about is the outside, when we still are pouring 90%, 95%, 99% of our energy to just self. This is me, okay? Or we pat ourselves on the back just because we're on the new boat from Tarshish to Nineveh, but we still haven't gotten off the boat. God continues to convict me that he has a mission. And he equally convicts me that I like to watch him on his mission as long as I don't have to go to. Oh, I like to go to other places where you can go do it for a week. I'll go to Belize and do it for a week and come home just. Little time in Nineveh, lots of time in Tarshish. And I say that because of this, this whole plant thing. It's fascinating because it's all about Jonah's comfort. God raises up a plant. It must be Houston. What else grows that fast? You know, it must have been Houston soil, Houston humidity, the east of the town. It grows up. It covers him. And Jonah, for a while, relents from the idea of dying. Remember his anger? Now, at least while he's waiting, he's waiting with great comfort. For us, it would be having good air conditioning, good everything, you know, everything's perfect, the sun doesn't shine and hit you in the face during church, you know, all those things. And Jonah's so comfortable. And then it says that God sends a worm. The worm turns, so to speak. The worm turns, attacks the plant, the plant dies, and the sun rises, the hot wind hits. And Jonah's reminded of his discontent with God. God is making the church at large uncomfortable today. I read place after place and spot after spot that the denominational institutional church is shrinking. Churches are struggling with budgets, trying to figure out how to get enough butts in the seat and nickels in the plate. And it bothers us, doesn't it? And I think it's God doing this with us. He's, the word of God shows up and says, wait a minute, was this ever my mission? My mission was to reach people for Jesus. Did you get so hung up on the stuff that you like that you forgot what I love? And I think these things are good. I'm glad that we continue to see and are blessed by people who want to be a part of this place but there's always a danger when we get so stuck on what we want and what helps us and we forget what God loves and so we have an interchange again God is still remember as they're having this and God is doing this with Jonah he's still pursuing Jonah he still wants Jonah's heart He sends the plant, not because Jonah can say, ah, God loves me now, but that God would work in both the blessing as well as the hard part of finding himself uncomfortable and not in a place where he wants to be. And I think about our lives because there are those times where we get, you know, that new job, and we go, oh, my goodness, you know, God's in heaven, and all these things are going well. And then we hit those spots where the job isn't what we thought, or someone's not paying us, or we're not where we thought things would be at this point in life, and we think, like, oh, my God." God has left me. And we forget that that God is always pursuing us. He never leaves us. He will care for us in that pursuit. But he also is constantly calling us in that job that I may be in only for one more week. But God says, this is your mission field. This is your Nineveh. This is where God calls us to those times of life where we might say, what am I going to do? And God gives us the time to spend in our neighborhood and not run off to what we want to do. And he calls us to be right there for that. And God says, Here's where you need to go. And in our discomfort, God is pursuing our heart, but he's sending us. What a God that uses every situation. I know we talked about upper story and lower story so long ago, but the fact that God is constantly, that upper story is his mission, his pursuit. And as he takes us, he sends us. The worm turns, not to make us uncomfortable, but the worm turns to bring us into a living relationship that is being sent, pursued and sent. Now, the final piece is, I think, funny. Maybe you don't find it funny, but I do. Because as he's talking to him, he says, You pity this plant. Remember, he's, of course, pities it mostly because it helped him, but he says, You did not labor. You did not make it grow. It came in a night and it perished in a night. He said to Jonah, Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand? What does that mean? And no, you Aggies cannot say, you know, T-Sips. And you Baylor folks can't say that means Aggies. Who does not know their left hand from their right hand? Pastors, okay, I'll take that one. Now who, who are they talking about? What's God saying there? Making sure the choir is awake. I know you are because you whoop for me. So, yep, left hand from right hand. What's that talking about? Help me out. Anybody? Good guess, bad guess? Oh, right from wrong. That could be, but no. Thank you for playing today. When you see a child playing in their space eating, do they know their left hand from their right hand? I mean, this is how huge this city was. He said there was 120,000 that young enough not to know their left hand from their right hand lived in that city. That's how huge that was. He says 120,000 infants to toddlers. And if anybody's got the Bible open there, what else did he throw in after mentioning that? Cattle. Cattle. Seriously, God? We got a bunch of little infants, 120,000 infants and toddlers. Oh, and there's cattle. Now that to me is a surprising part, but it doesn't surprise me on the other hand because God is here to pursue his whole creation to that which draws our heart to even the cattle that we use and steward for our own good. God loves even cows. God is a pursuing God. Now, here's the other thing about this book. It stops. Don't books like that drive you crazy? You might say, Pastor, if things like that drive you crazy, you've been on that highway for a while anyway, it doesn't matter. But it stops. I want to know the rest of the story. So did Jonah get up and become the greatest evangelist of all time? Did he move into Nineveh and find a Ninevite wife and get married and have many, many children and begin to grow large gardens with lots of plants? Did he develop pesticides to take care of worms? What happened next? If Paul Harvey was here. He could tell us the rest of the story. If that's the good place to leave us is when we find out that God is a pursuing God and a sending God, and he continues to show that to us in Jonah, pursuing and sending, pursuing and sending, the story's not over. So, I told you about toys earlier, right? Got a sheet here on toys. If you'd like to buy a toy, it's not a sales pitch, it's just to let you know where it's from. Plum Grove, how many people have heard of Plum Grove. About a fourth of you. I had never heard of Plum Grove. Went out to uh, lunch with uh, Eric and Peggy Modi, Modi, and uh, Pastor Ted and I were over there to talk to them because Eric has a job that he purchases property uh, for their company, and they look for the places where stuff is happening, and we want to find out where stuff is happening for getting our next church planter somewhere. And we thought, these guys, they know lots of stuff about, lots of stuff. They're super grandparents. They're all these things we've got to have lunch with them why not and so sat down and in the middle of the conversation I probably had this somewhat wrong my wife always tells me I get story screwed up but that's okay I'll make it my story I'm talking so I think Eric said have you heard of Plum Grove I've heard of China Grove Doobie Brothers but Plum Grove no well is this area out if you take go out to 59 Off the Grand Parkway, you go north, and you get up there, you take, you know, FM whatever, and you go in, and there is uh, plots there that will support 100,000 people. People moving in from Central and South America, people working for contractors, subcontractors, they're all moving there. And I thought, why, why, why? But it seems like, you know, our highway system, it's an easy place to get. You can get anywhere you want in Houston. And we kind of put that in our pocket and said, that's interesting. And then we kept talking about that and said, man, that's amazing what the Modi's brought up to us. What do we do with that? So we called up Link Houston and said, so we've got this thing we found out and we don't know what to do with it because it's going to be mostly uh, Spanish speaking. That's not our strength. But we need to look at this. Will you come look at this with us? So we came over here, got in the same car, drove over there. We drive in toward Plum Grove, you know, GPS Plum Grove. And as we come into Plum Grove, it says Plum Grove, 600 people. Well, that's underwhelming. So we thought, well, they're not all here yet. This hasn't happened yet. So we started driving. And all of a sudden, we just kind of looked like, well, that road looks like that could be to Something. So we turn. And as we turn, we hit this road, and all of a sudden there is this little flat area with like uh, post office boxes on cement pads that are about, oh, I don't know, I'm guessing 600 of them, and pads for twice that many that could come later. Well, now you got my attention. I mean, that's a lot of mailboxes. So we start driving back, and here is plot after plot after plot. JT would tell you half of those might be underwater someday because of trucks back there, but anyway, that's another thing. But I mean, wow! And there's people who built a garage and they're living in there and slowly building a house, and there's people living in yellow school buses and building a house, and there's people living in vans to build their house, and they're just slowly going to be building their houses. And then there's like a $300,000 house just sitting there, and you're like, what? I can't quite figure this out. And then, as we, we're talking, we come out and find a sheriff and talking to him and a sheriff's deputy. He said, Yeah, there's 10 of those just like this right here. Wow. And I've talked to people who I felt bad not knowing about it here. I've talked to people who live over that direction who said, What? The world that God is pursuing is coming to us. So we prayed about that and looked at that and drove away, just kind of astounded. And most of those plots haven't even been sold yet. Some, yes, but a lot more, they're coming. Found things on, you know, cron.com, all kinds of things. This has been stirring for a couple of years. Now, that's not the part I care about. Here's the part I care about. You and I forget that God has given us our vocation because he is pursuing us and using what I am in my life as a worker, student, teacher, mother, father, husband, wife, to be sent and used by God. I have a feeling... Eric and Peggy never thought about that job as a part of his missional effort at Resurrection Lutheran Church. And yet it is blowing up new opportunities because without going into all the details, we have new Bible studies that are starting up over there and new pastors to be made and sent there. It's not our sending. We're not running to Tarshish, but God is providing through a vocation an opportunity we would have never known about until way too late so that's one we can see what about you I'll tell you God is doing things all the time it may not be as dramatic as Jonah. It may not have as far-reaching effect as what we found with Eric and Peggy, but I'm telling you God is doing things because God is always pursuing so much so that in a manger we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks about a little baby thrown amongst the hay and the cattle and God loves cattle so I'm thinking now cattle had to be there And he brings him into the world and he takes that same wooden manger and he turns it later into a wooden cross by which he continued to pursue you and me, not so he could get us in, put us in the choir, put me up front and say, oh, thank God he found us, but that he would put on us a heart that as he sent Jesus his son, he would send us through what we do and whatever we are, and whether we're retired or working, young or old, that God is a pursuing God, that Jonah would be teaching us to let the story go on, when the worm turns, to go see what God is about and to recognize that our lives make a difference. His pursuit of us means also the sending of us. Who is it in your world that God is sending you to today? Because we are sent as we are pursued. Let's pray. Father, it's fun to learn about stuff in the Bible, but this learning piece was to become an acting piece, to become something by which we go out and do what you have called us to be. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for bringing us into life and faith. Thank you for calling us to salvation and help us not to be Jonah-like in terms of overlooking the world that we're sent to. But whether it's as a family, as an individual, as a congregation that we recognize and we thank you. You have really provided through so many means, whether it's a vocation we mentioned this morning or other things, you just keep providing opportunities for us to step through the door and to be sent. Help us to rejoice in that, to see your goodness And to live out that our impact that you're making on us and what can be made elsewhere can continue to just roll out more of pointing to your mission, your pursuit, and your sending in all the things around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.